Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of Dogcast Radio, our Crufts 2019 special. There's always so much going on at Crufts. It's a race to get to see everything and talk to everyone, although it's a very slow race as it's such a busy show full of people and the crowd contains many dogs whom you have to be careful not to tread on. Not that I aim to tread on people, but I admit to taking more care of the dog's feet than the human. Anyway, you've got the picture. So I pushed my way over to the Discover Dogs area of the show, which is right up at the top of Hall 3, and is the best place to go if you want to get hands-on with a dog, or to find out more about any particular breed. I went there to find out more about the three breeds who were competing at Crufts for the first time this year. Here's what Sue Reno told me about one of those breeds, the White Swiss Shepherd. How long has the breed been in the UK? Well, I first brought them in um, 2008. Well, I purchased my first one in 2008. We've been home, so we'd say really 2009. Yeah. But I didn't bring them to the, record, uh, to the Kennel Club as far as ask about the breed being recognised yeah. until 2011. So... Um, I'd say now, so I've had the breed since 2008, yeah. but in the UK, more and more dogs have been coming from 2011, but I've regi- I'd registered them with the Irish Kennel Club, because I was showing over in Ireland. So, are you actually responsible for bringing the breed to the UK? You could say that. <laughs> okay. Well, I've, I've stopped to talk to the right <laughs> Yes, um, we, um, literally, I kept records, and obviously I'd been breeding myself and I'd ask other breeders abroad um, to let me know when dogs were coming into the country. So I had enough records um, in 2017 to get the um, breed recognised, because obviously they wanted health data, which all the kennel clubs abroad helped me with, and uh, set up a breed club, we got, and we got recognition. Yeah, it's a long process, actually, isn't it? It is. Uh, I was actually quite surprised at how actually... It went through on the first attempt. Uh, they just wanted some extra health yeah. um, statistics, which I kindly got from most of the Nordic countries because yeah. they're very um, up-to-date with their yeah. tests. I mean, the thing is, when you're bringing a breed mm-hmm. to the UK, particularly sort of uh, well, Europe yes. and, and, um, and the Nordic countries, they are very good on their dog health, aren't they? So you've got the chance to bring in a breed mm-hmm. and establish it and really get to grips with any health issues and, and breed as they should be bred I think as a new breed anyone, any breeder that's going to come into a new breed will want to look after them um, learn by old mistakes of other breeders and past breeds so I would say most a lot, many of the breeders all around the world are very passionate about oh, yes. they, they stay as they mm-hmm. I- intended and yeah. certainly the Swiss of the club of the FBBSI and the uh, GWS they're both breed clubs for the um, White Swiss uh, responsible for the, um, the breed standard in the, under the FCI now yeah. abroad uh, he's been here today in support and he'll be here again tomorrow to see them in the ring for the first time so we've had their support as well I mean it's been marvellous really so yes they're very uh, passionate about the health. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to have to ask this question because I imagine a lot of people at home listening might be thinking this. They look, to me, as a a layperson, quite similar to a white German Shepherd. Okay? Now, I understand that they may be very different in many ways, but what what was for you the motivation? We've said it's a long process, it's a difficult process to get a new breed in. Some people would be daunted by that. So what was the motivation for you to bring the breed in and establish them and do all that hard work? Right, well, first of all, I've had German Shepherds for many years, but I never showed them. Yeah. My, my breed prior to this breed were Great Danes, yeah. and with health problems, heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. I, all my German Shepherds in the past, they weren't show German Shepherds, and they were always coloured variety. I'd never, ever, ever thought of a white German Shepherd. I like dark, rich colours. Yeah. Um, but I have a home in Spain, and I was losing my Danes out there. I'd, I'd done very well with showing my Danes out there, and I felt that um, after seeing these in the ring, 
and their movement and going around and seeing breeders and I just I just fell in love with them. And I think it was I, I'd never thought I'd have gone back to a shepherd, but you know yeah I just fell in love with them. Yeah. And it's not just the colour because yeah. they were white was never my preference. But um, they've just got such a lovely, wonderful temperament. And after living with them for so long, and I have nine of this breed, um, I, I, there's a marked difference in there their is, in their temperament. So tell me, strangers. what are they like then? What is the white Swiss shepherd like? Well, they've been. You've got to think these. This breed has been um, based on nine lines of white American Canadian shepherds in the main. Um, and I'm not saying there was some dogs from the UK came within that, but it's on, based on nine lines. And they've been bred mainly from health and temperament as pet family companion dogs. Yeah. Not that they're not capable of working abilities, but they weren't, that's what they weren't, they weren't bred for that. Yeah. So literally living with them, I just find they're more sociable. Um, I'm not saying my, all my dogs were antisocial, but they weren't as friendly as this pack I think the thing is you, you, I always think we as humans we fall in love with the look of a dog we go oh I like the way this dog looks and then they don't always fit with your lifestyle so you may love the way they look but you have to look at what they were bred for and selected for blessing um, there's, all, there's all kinds of noises from next door and your dog's just like yeah whatever whatever so to look what they're bred for is important isn't it so if they're bred to be a companion you're probably going to get a a great dog that's easy to live with well I would have thought so yes I mean as I say I, I loved German Shepherds prior to that but okay you can go by you love the look of them I mean the, their movements nice in the ring I'm not one of the biggest show people yeah, you don't yeah. see me in the ring often I did a bit abroad because lovely weather yes. <laughs> it goes out you socialise but um, if people know me, obviously people around me now, they know I'm not the first running around in the ring. So I'm not passionate about that, but I'm passionate to bring them to the public and let them see. Not that I need any uh, more inquiries <laughs> for them, because, you know, that's the difficult thing if you do breed. But I will only breed one litter a year at that if I do that. And it's, for, for me, it's a hobby, because I love, I love doing it. But, yes, I think... I'm now more passionate that a dog's healthy and the temperament's good. Uh, I think after losing the Danes so young, yeah. that's what... Pretty, they, they, these, this breed... Uh, I lost my daughter at 20, the age of 29, she was, and this breed dragged me out of depression, most yeah. definitely. After losing the Danes, losing her... Yeah, absolutely love them. They've been a bit, bit addictive. I've gone a bit too far now. <laughs> Nine's okay, that's okay. So, another tricky question now then. So, <laughs> you've established them in the UK. They're competing at Crofts for the first time. They are beautiful. I mean, they're a very striking dog. They're beautiful. There is going to be interest in them. How do you make sure now, going forward, that with that demand for them... Because we've seen this happen with other breeds. I'm not going to name names, but there is that demand there. And... People sometimes get into breeding them who are not in it for the breed, they're in it for the money sometimes, and then we start to get problems. So how, how do you go forward with, this, with a new breed and make sure that sort of scrupulous people get hold of them? Well, I can only talk about myself personally, and I have seen this with my other... you know, Because obviously the other two breeders in the UK are part of our club. Yeah. So obviously we all health test, we all endorse our pedigrees, that if anyone wants to come into the breed at a later date and we're not anti-people yeah, yeah. coming into the breed that they follow the same steps as we do and make sure the dog's you know, hip scored, elbow scored and have the yeah. same health tests and of course you, get, you, know, you, you invite people to join the club and you, know, and you get to know people yeah. don't you yeah. but when it comes to selling our puppies I mean for me personally if you want to go by waiting lists you know I've quoted four years I could quote ten years if I wanted to go by waiting lists to be honest, you know, I am pretty... I yeah. can afford to be, can't I? I've got all yeah. these people waiting. Someone yeah. sitting on your sofa, making a fuss of your dogs. You can tell whether you yeah. want them to have one of your dogs or not. Yeah. But I'm not saying that they're people that can fool people as well. All we can say as a club, we do monitor what's yeah. going on. And yeah. so that if a, a litter did come up and we haven't realised something's been imported of late... 
we will yeah. fish and find out. Yeah. We, are, we are watching, but you know we're not the police, and oh, no, no, you know we haven't. There's no, you know there's nothing we can do if it happens, yeah. but. Is it, I suppose, educate the public, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, this is one of the reasons I'm I asked the question. I'm a responsible reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the, the reasons I asked the question, because if we arm people with the right information, that's the best yes. thing that you can do. And say to people, you know, you need to check your health tests are done. And, you, you know, the last thing you want when you go to a breeder is someone that talks money, first of all. All of it, whether you're the breeder, the buyer, whatever... If money's the first question, it's not what you know what you want, is it? It's it's got to be for the love of the dogs. And I mean, I I always say to people, you want to go to a breeder, whether it's a breeder or a rescue, you want them to be asking you as many questions as you're, you're asking, asking them. them. Yes. You know, so because they they should be loving their dogs and lo- desperate to get them a good home, not just fob them off and I'll have your money. Thank the you. thing is, with me, I, I I'm fortunate that I've built up quite a good website over the years, and what I do is with each litter, I've documented each week as they grow, videos, indoors, outdoors, what, how they're socialised. So I think for me, that's why there are some people, I say, look, you know, there may be another litter. Some people will actually say they prefer to wait for yeah. one of my puppies, I think. But then again, someone, I suppose, can someone fall that... I don't think you can fool what you see on a video, no. to be honest. No. I, well, I hope not. No, no. So. And I think as well, if someone's bothered to come and see you... I mean, we always say, when, we, when we've gone to see a breeder, we've, gone, we've always said, we don't want to come when you've got puppies. We want to meet you, we want to meet your dogs, but no puppies, please. <laughs> you know, and if you've got puppies, don't show them well, to us. Well, I don't invite people to come and see the puppies if they're not on my list already in any case, or pretty much if they've been selected, because... I don't take deposits or anything. I wait until the litter are born. Then I will contact people that most of them have visited me and say, are you still interested? Because I'd like to offer you one of the litter. But they do not choose one of the litter. I select. And that's another message to get across, isn't it? The breeder or the rescue knows the dog, knows what, what their character is, what their needs are, has talked to you about your lifestyle and will match you together, that's won't what they? I do, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I do say to them, mind, you know, if the, um, I say, right, well, the puppies are there. And, of course, I note what yeah. ones they, t- you know, that colour, collar. I say, is there a puppy in this litter you wouldn't want to take home with you? Yeah. That's the only question I ask. Yeah, great. Where can people find out more about your website? As with all the links you'll hear mentioned on this show, you'll find that on our website, dogcastradio.com. The best of luck to Sue and her beautiful dogs. They're a lovely breed. There are many assistance dog partnerships in attendance at Crufts, and I always love that aspect of the show because as close as the bond is between us and our pet dogs, the special relationship between an assistance dog and their person is magical and should be celebrated. Here's a celebration of Chloe Fuller and Ted the assistance dog. We wander around Crufts and we've just spotted you with your lovely um, assistance dog and his name is? Ted. His Ted. Name. Oh, Ted. And he's on social media, isn't he? Yeah, correct. So he goes by Ted the assistance dog on all social media platforms, both Facebook and Instagram. Um, and it's just been a great way of, for us really to kind of connect with people. And, yeah. and um, yeah, I think the dog world is amazing for having just so many supportive people in it or, or at least in my case I've been very very privileged to meet so many people who are lovely yeah no it is it is a nice world generally you know if you love dogs you, you generally not too bad with people <laughs> yeah most definitely um it, yeah it's been it's been fantastic for us and you know um especially considering as you said I have an assistance dog so I'm disabled I don't get out of the house a lot so um to be able to connect with people who you have similar interests with that's just been really amazing actually yeah Um, it is one of the aspects that assistance dogs perform one of the roles they perform without sort of even being trained to do that connecting you with people so tell me what does Ted do for you so um, Ted gets me undressed uh, and once he's got me undressed he will then put the clothes into the washing basket Um, later on he can then unload the washing basket and put the clothes into the washing machine then he can empty the washing machine and put the clothes into a basket and then drag the basket to the clothes maiden Um, he picks up anything I drop 
Um, he knows named items such as purse, post, pen, phone, uh, laptop charger, uh, blanket, medication, towel, shoes. I've probably been missing some, but he knows an awful lot of named items. Um, and then, oh, he opens and shuts doors, obviously. Um, fetches help if I need it, barks in an emergency. Um, I think that's about it, but I always, always forget a task, and then later on I'm like, oh! Because, you know, it becomes such a, a way of life. That's the norm for me now. Um, and I often forget, I'm quite guilty of not realising that... Um, I'll say to people, you know, yeah, he gets me undressed, and they're like, what? And, and for me, that's just so average, that's so normal. Um, so, yeah, it's, I definitely kind of have to check myself and remind myself that it is pretty impressive. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's lovely that it's just become ordinary everyday life for you because when, when a dog does a task for you like that, it's like you're working as a team. It's not the same as having to say to somebody, can you help me do such and such? You're a team with the dog, aren't you? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, really. We do talks about this um, across the country, and it's human carers are absolutely phenomenal. I would never knock them, but they are human, and they get tired. They have off days. They get ill. And, of course, that happens to dogs, but it happens significantly less often. And humans also just have days where they're just in a bad mood, um, understandably. Um, and I, I guess what I always like to say is my mum doesn't have half the amount of enthusiasm at picking up something that I've dropped for the sixth time as Ted does. Um, and also, we, we notice that through training the dogs, especially in Ted's case, he loves his job so much that there isn't really asking him to do anything. He does it automatically. So if I drop something, he's going to pick it up without me asking before I've even really got a chance to say, could you pick that up, please? Um, and that's really helpful because I think mentally it's very difficult, especially as a young person, to ask for help and admit hey, actually, I need help with this. Um, because as a teenager, you know, you strive for that independence and, and you're trying to go out in the world and the opposite was happening. So to kind of have a dog flip that back the way around that it should be is just brilliant. I really appreciate it. And he is amazing because throughout all of this, he's just sitting on your lap as calm as anything and just taking it all in, all the atmosphere of Crufts and the smells of other dogs and people walking past, and he's just sat on your lap as calm as anything. So what, what charity, which, which charity trained Ted for you? So Dog Aid trained Ted. Um, well, no, they didn't. Um, so Dog Aid specialised in teaching disabled owners to train their pet dogs. So I actually trained Ted myself with the supervision of Dog Aid. Um, I got Ted when he was six months old and we were taken on by Dog Aid when he was 10 months old. And then we qualified 13 months later. And at that point he had his jacket and he was attending everywhere with me. But yeah, he is, he is very chill as a dog. Um, he... It's our first year at Crufts, both of us. Um, and, yeah, he's not really phased by much as a dog. Um, he doesn't really care about other dogs. He doesn't really care about other people. He just loves me, and that's that. Um, and for an assistance dog, that is the best temperament that you could ask for, really, because the general public approach you a lot, um, and they will often try to distract the dog. And for a dog to not care about people is, is actually really helpful when you're trying to go about your daily life with the dog. So, yeah. That's a really important point, actually. I wasn't going to... I hadn't even thought of saying that in this interview, but, you know, when, when we see an assistance dog, it's natural to for anybody to go, oh, what a lovely dog, and they're doing a wonderful job, and isn't that great? I'd like to say hello to that dog. What should we do when we have those feelings? So, first of all, I completely get it. As somebody who is hopelessly obsessed with dogs, I, too, see a dog and go, oh, my goodness, um, and I have to stroke them, too. But... With assistance dogs, it's imperative you don't. Um, I'll give you an example. My um, best friend has a dog who alerts to anaphylaxis. And if you distract that dog, he risks missing an alert. If he misses an alert, you're risking her life. Um, it's not as simple as, well, what's the harm? It can be, for some assistance dog partnerships, life or death. I'm very lucky in that for me it isn't. But it can, unfortunately, actually lead to the dog's retiring if you do distract them. Um, and that can be because what you're teaching the dog is that everybody is going to say hi to them and they will then go and approach other people and they won't do their tasks as trained. So it's really imperative that the general public, if possible, can try to stay away from them. 
as again like I said as somebody who's obsessed with dogs I do understand and if you are kind of desperate to say hello or to know more you know and, and just to compliment them on their dog's behaviour approach them if they don't seem busy and just ask politely if you could say hi and, and most assistance dog partnerships will be more than happy to I'm always happy to talk about Ted you know he's the joy of my life so why wouldn't I? Do check out Ted the Assistance Dog on Instagram or Facebook because Chloe takes gorgeous photos of him. And do visit the Dog Aid website to find out about their wonderful work. Ted is a Springer Spaniel, but one of the newest dogs to compete at Crufts was much smaller than him, the Russian Toy. Amanda Orchard told me all about them. Beautiful, they're so dainty. Um, to, for people that haven't seen them... Because they're one of the hello. They're one of the dogs that one of the reasons that's competing at Crossing the Yes, they're one of the. So can you? I mean, they're beautiful, but can you describe them for us? Um, if you think of a miniature pincher, a papillon chihuahua, that sort of lines, because we have the smooth coat and we also have the long coat, and the long coat had the feathering on the ears, a little bit like the long coat chihuahua and papillon. Yes. Such beautiful little faces. So, how long have they been in the country? Um, since 2008 was when the first one came along, um, and then enthusiasts sort of bought one or two across, and then I think it was 2014 they got together to start to try to form a breed club, um, and then it really began in earnest to try and get the breed recognised with the kennel club. It, it's a very long process, actually, isn't it, to get a breed recognised yes. by the kennel? Yeah, really long. And you have to have so much information. You have to have a really extensive gene pool. You have to prove that the breed um, exists well in its country of origin. Um, and you have to have so many in the country. It's a very long process. It can take years. And I'm presuming that the country of origin is Russia? Yes, the country of origin is Russia, yes. Now, I'm just going to ask a question that people might well be thinking. Yeah. With so many breeds already in the country, yes. why why bring a new one in? Um, I think it was just the fact that um, somebody actually saw them um, and liked the look of them and their characteristics and decided to bring them over. Um, Like any breed really, um, people are looking for other dogs to show. I myself also have Pomeranians and I was looking for a breed that would complement the Pom but not have so much work with the coat. Um, And these are lovely, really easy compared to a Pom, so yeah. Okay, so what's their character, what's their temperament like? What are they like to live with? They're really loving and very loyal. Um, They can be a little bit feisty, um, but on the whole, they're a very loving and loyal dog, and they're just great fun to have, really. They love to be with you. They like to have human company as much as anything else, yeah. I mean, do they like a lot of exercise, or were they so Um, They love exercise. Um, They... 20 minutes twice a day they they can take or they can take up to a couple of hours you know if you've got a big garden they love to run and play I mean you know they go hunting in the garden you know they still keep a lot of their original characteristics and if there's a mouse in the garden they'll find it (laughs) is that what they were bred for they were originally bred as a companion dog for the aristocracy but also alarm dogs so the big dogs that they had to ward off all the intruders these would do the barking and wake them up Um, and then obviously extended from that because of the terrier influence then yes you know they would they're very good at ratting (laughs) when you say terrier influence what sort of breeds have originally they originally descend hundreds of years ago from the english toy terrier do you know we had a bichon freeze and she would get her toys and do a, a shake, you know, the terrier shake, and she'd still do that with her. Yes, toy. oh no, this one is Lula. She's very much a case if, it, if it's a rodent of yeah. any kind, she will, you know, yeah. watch it. And she, you can't get her, she'll fixate on it and she'll be there all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about training with them then? What's their best motivation? Um, food. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, food, squeaky toys, they love all that sort of thing. Um, they're quite easy to train, they're quite biddable. 
um, they're you know enthusiastic Um, so yes you know we have some that are trying out agility and he'll work to music they're really quite an adaptable dog and quite a social dog in that respect yeah so you can see them being popular I think they will be popular we obviously want to you know make sure that they're bred correctly um, and not have an explosion of them as it were because you know we all know how breeds can go when they're over popular we certainly don't want them to become a handbag dog (laughs) (laughs) we are surrounded by small dogs here Yes, I mean, so many little dogs people look at and, and fall in love with and think, oh, yes, I want them just to sit on my lap, sit on the sofa, but they're not no, really that old. No, no. They like to be motivated. They like to be active. They do like the exercise. Um, I think they soon become quite bored, and then that's when you will get the personality problems if you, you know, don't stimulate them enough, yes. So if someone's heard of the, the, the breed, the, the Russian toy, and wants one, what's the best way for them to go about getting one? What we recommend is that they contact the breed club firstly because we've got a wealth of experience of breeders and those that have imported dogs as well as bred them in the UK. Find out a lot about the breed. Um, Obviously come to discover dogs and and, and meet them and pick up our information and also contact the kennel club via the Assure Breeder Scheme. We'd always recommend going that route. They were such sweeties. But like many small dogs, they have the same need for exercise, training and mental stimulation as larger breeds. Whatever size the dog we love is, we want them to live as healthy and long a life as possible. Jane Cordier told me about the work of pet savers who want to achieve exactly that aim for every pet. We're sitting here on the pet savers stand. So tell me about pet savers. Pet Savers is part of the British Small Animal Veterinary Association and since 1974 we've been founding studies to, well, to fund vets really, to find cures and treatments for serious pet illnesses. So what kind of illnesses are we talking about? Um, everything. We work with all the veterinary schools, all the universities, so a lot of their money comes from us, so it, it ranges. I mean, we we specialise in small animals, so dogs, cats, rabbits, and uh, that's what we do. Because, I mean, I'm just thinking we've had dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, you know, etc. Um, and and it's, it's just hor- a horrible time when your pet is struck down with an illness and you feel helpless. So it's, it's great to know that that work's going on, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, to know that there's going to be the medicines out there that have been developed and obviously giving the vets that they need, the training and the skills to be able to specialise, that's another thing, obviously, behind it. So. So, I mean, tell me, can you tell me about any of the studies that you've, do any of them spring to mind that you've... We do a lot. Um, we've done one with Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, the Syringo Myelia. Quite a lot with those. It's ongoing. We just funded a, another one. I, I can't think at the moment what that is, but it's, oh yeah, we've got grants open all year. We're awarding them, so... So, I mean, it's the kind of thing, it's, it sounds clinical and sort of removed from life but it isn't is it because these diseases affect pets and they affect the people and the whole family yeah well pets mean so much to us and there's no government funding out there the money has to come from somewhere and i think people don't realize that you know this our charity is there raising money to do this um you know we haven't got the rescue element which is obviously very easy to to share yeah so, you know, to understand that there's people out there raising the funds so their pets can be made well, because we really do believe that they should live long, healthy lives. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I always think you know, one of the biggest faults with a dog is they don't live long enough. It's... I know, and there's so many, you know, problems within breeds. We do, you know, we look at that. So, you know, they are so important yeah. give people so much pleasure. They're another member of the family, aren't absolutely, they? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. OK, so if people feel inspired to support your work, where can they find you online? Right, they come through to petsavers.org.uk. They'll find us there. Any emails, anything comes through to me, so please. Let's hope that with the help of charities such as Pet Savers, our dogs do indeed live happier, healthier lives. Right, let's flip that around now and talk about dogs helping humans live happier, healthier lives. Jane Pierman is the founder of Hypo Hounds. We train up assistance dogs for children with type 1 diabetes and it is their pet dog already in their household that we come in, do the sense detection training and train the dog to alert to the mother, father, carer, 
teachers at school that the child's blood sugars are dropping dangerously low or going too high. That's excellent. So it's their own dog that's been living in the house and then it can detect their, their diabetes problems. Yes, that's right. It's all about your best friend saving your child's life. That's what we're all about. I mean, this has come from a personal place, hasn't it? So tell me, how did, how did you get started? Uh, my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was nine. Uh, our background is that we're all police dog trainers for the Met Police and there was nothing out there to support my own daughter so I trained up a dog for her called Scooby. We got through to the Friends for Life in 2016 and we just got inundated by parents saying please can you help train a dog for my child. The Paula Carr Diabetic Trust, it's one of the biggest trusts in Kent where we're based, came on board and said if you want to start a charity we'll start funding you to give you the lift that you need to get going. And we haven't looked back. We are now actually in a premises of our own where we were working out of my garage for a couple of years. We've now got a premises that we're renting. We've got a training venue. We've got paddocks to train the dogs. Clients come to us. And it's a real family feel. We're a really close-knit family. That's so wonderful that the inspiration was there and the help was there, the support, because it's tough to start a charity, isn't it? Yeah, it was really tough. We, you know, I, I did look at it before and thought, no, there's... It's too much to take on, especially as I was a serving police officer at the time. But the Paula Carr could see a clinical need from Sophie, the clinical side of what the dog was doing, the emotional benefits, and they could see by the amount of people that were contacting them, saying, is there something down here for us, that there was actually a need for children to have dogs trained for them. And how many dogs have you trained now? Hands on, the charity has done 35 dogs for 35 people that need our help. And not one child had a hospital admission. So that's incredible. I was going to say the next question was going to be, tell me the difference they make to these children's lives. From a personal point of view, I can obviously talk about Sophie. Her blood sugars would drop rapidly low, without warning. One minute I'd be in the kitchen, doing the washing up, next minute she'd be on the floor in a coma. She'd have a hospital admission on a monthly basis. Since having Scooby, we haven't had one. So not only are we improving the lives of the child, we're giving parents back the ability to sleep at night. Uh, siblings that are absolutely also we forget about siblings of children the parents attention is no longer focused on the child with diabetes the emotional benefits we're saving parents that horrible conflict of can you do your bloods please and especially with the teenagers that oh I don't want to the dog does it they don't answer back to the dog you know, and, and how could you when you get a lovely puppy looking at you saying please do your bloods so that conflict is gone so we're really improving the lives of the whole family unit yeah, absolutely. Where can people find out more about you online? Go to our website. Um, it's www.hypohypohounds, as in the dog, .co.uk. I do admire people who rise to the challenge life throws at them and create so much good and touch so many lives positively when they could have reacted very differently. Congratulations to Jane and all the Hypo Hands team. Now it's time for the third new breed, which was competing at Crofts for the first time, the black and tan coonhound. So off I went back to Discover Dogs, where I found Helen Reaney and her beautiful black and tan coonhound. For people who haven't seen, hello, who haven't seen a black and tan coonhound, because they are, it's the first Crofts they're competing at, yes. isn't it? So they're sort of new-ish. Yes. Um, how would you describe black and tan coonhound for people? The Black and Tan Coon Hound is a dog that has the versatility to do tracking and trailing and scenting. So that's their primary function. So in America, they were bred to track and trail raccoon. So that's where the name Coon Hound, yes. So basically they are uh, bred from crosses between a foxhound over the centuries and the bloodhounds. So they're a direct descendant of the bloodhound. Direct descendant. I mean, bodily, I'm probably going to offend you now, but bodily, then she's making me think of like a Doberman. But we, obviously with much longer ears. Go on, tell me off now. She's nothing like a Doberman. Is it like a Doberman? No, no. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. When I think of a bloodhound, yeah. I think of a big, big yeah, big and quite yeah. bulky. Maybe I've seen out-of-shape ones. But she's sleek and she tucks up and That's she's... the foxhound. Yeah. Because the, the, the foxhound has got the athletic... If you look at a lot of the English foxhounds yeah. and the American foxhounds, they're quite athletic quite slender so they've got they're quite racy so basically they wanted something that was going to cover the ground but have the scenting ability and the way they did it was to bring the, the hounds and the bloodhound together and, 
and they come. <laughs> she's just so chilled out, isn't it? Just like, yeah, whatever, adore me. Uh, and, and they originated in America. Now, basically, what happened was, in they were bred in the seventh um, century. Uh, the St. Hubert Hound uh, in the seventh century was by the monks, and they used to breed them for the aristocracy. And in, in the UK, in the UK, so they're not new, are they? they they're re- we're recycling and reusing, right, aren't we? It's all in the book, like you say. So in the yeah. St. Hubert Hound can be traced back to the Belgian monastery of St. Hubert. In the seventh century, the monks began breeding dogs that looked identical and bred true generation after generation. So William Conqueror. Yes. Brought the bloodhound over in 1066. Yeah. So obviously, when the foxhounds came over as well, and the bloodhound came over in 1066, Battle of Hastings, that's when they started to move. That's when they started to move them over. So obviously, when they went over to America, they took the bloodhound with them, and the hounds that they bred in the UK and the Belgian area, and put them with the foxhounds from America, the red red foxhound. And over the years, they've just genetically done it so that they've got rid of all the wrinkly yeah. and the droopy eyes and just got the racy dog with the ability to scent. Gorgeous, absolutely. If you haven't seen a photo of a black and tan coonhound, check one out because they, they are a gorgeous dog. I, I, I'm actually liking them close up much more than I expected to. That not, that's not a comment against them. Uh, I just look at that picture there. Oh, that's, that, that's her as a puppy. Oh. Oh, that is so and that's, sweet. That's her dad. Yeah. Oh, they're lovely. For the first generation, there's a lot of things that we've got to improve on yeah. because some of the dogs, are, the dogs tend to be quite heavy. But being a first generation breeding, yeah. we're learning about the breed. Yeah. So hopefully, when we made her, she will go to a stronger dog yeah. to bring a bit more substance to her, yeah. her litters. Because when, you, when you say first generation, first generation that you. Well, she's the first generation of the foundation stock that have been bred from. So all the dogs at the moment in the UK are all first-generation breeding. So when we have her mates, she'll be the second generation, so her litter will be the second generation. So what we're looking for is to improve on what we've got from her and put her with the right dog. Head-wise, nothing wrong, but she needs a bit more substance. Which is why I'm thinking, oh, Doberman are quite tucky uppy and quite a slim yeah. dog yeah. I'm using very technical terms yeah. there <laughs> look at that but dog there that's her dad yes he, look, you can see in that one he's a lot more so she looks like her dad there yeah. but that is her dad there yeah. from a different profile yeah so the strength so you can see how they're, they're more chunky yes and the yeah. ears are the, they're shaped like that sort of curled yeah. so that when they're on the floor the scent is being drawn up very effective and yes. evolution and yes. <laughs> even man-made evolution yes. so what are they like what's a black and tan coonhound like to live with well Mia lives with four Staffordshire Bull Terriers yeah. and she curls up on the settee at night with the four Staffordshire Bull Terriers so she curls up in a little ball and they all, they're all, all on top of her or she's on top of them and so she's very very laid back She's not got a nasty bone in her body. She'll stand up, you know, she'll have a bark and she'll chase them round the garden. But overall, they are very, very docile. She'll have as little or as much exercise as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And what about sort of training? What's, what's motivating a black and tan coonhound like? What, how do you motivate her? Well, Mia, Mia's very good at um, scent work and tracking. So to, in order to get her into that mindset of tracking and scenting, it's about rewarding. So when she finds that, when she picks up the track and we do, we, we pick up on articles. So there could be, on a four mile track, there could be at staggered intervals and sta- staggered turns, yeah. articles like a mobile phone or a sock or a little cuddly toy or a, or a CD or things that the police would look, be searching for in a theft. So every time she, she finds one of those, she gets a reward. Yeah. So we've got her here today so to, for people to see her she knows that to, to, to get stand up on there she gets a reward yeah. so it's about reward with Mia and most most of the black and tans are, are food orientated nice and easy so <laughs> if you're doing a scenting course she does she does scent work UK yeah. and at the moment level two is doing cloves so there's a um, an article a clove article on the car under a chair in under a pot in a bag and each time she finds that it's like reward yes and then as she gets through the levels it'll be gun oil 
and then truffle oil and then there'll be something else like coffee or something so you're training them and every time they find them it's it's reward 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 because she knows if she finds what she's supposed to find she gets the sausage (laughs) cocktail sausage (laughs) they're gorgeous where where can people find out more about them right we have our own uh, brie club and the gentleman standing over there is our treasurer the lady who will sit there is his wife she's a membership secretary but we've also we've got a brie club uh, it's about to be recognised by the Kennel Club. Yeah. Uh, but we've got an email that we can, people can email the Black and Tan Coonhound Club GB at gmail.com. And obviously, I can take any queries and direct you to anybody that needs yeah. to know any more information. Because we've got about four, 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 four breeders at the moment in the UK, and obviously, I'll be the fifth with her. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, there's, obviously, there's three new breeds at this Crufts, yeah. and when you introduce a new breed to the UK, to any country, it's a great chance to start that breed off on the right footing and get the right health tests and etc. and temperaments yeah. in place. So, if someone's thinking, yeah I like the look of a black and tan coon hound you know how do they go about get, making sure they're buying from a you know a scrupulous well-intentioned breeder how do they do that well there's only as I say really four at the moment in the UK and they are part of the foundation people in the UK so we know that we could put anybody onto those people uh, Peter would know that he could put somebody onto Debbie or whoever so at the moment there's only a small nucleus of breeders and we are very particular of who they're sold to because they are a hound they are stubborn but they go through a stage where you feel that you've made the biggest mistake of your life but once you get through that stage they are rewarding but you wouldn't let them off the lead because their recall isn't as good unless they are trained from a very young age being a scent hound if they pick up the scent of a fox or a mole or a badger or anything like that or a deer if you're walking out on the park or even a rabbit or a a fox or or a squirrel she's up the fence at home you know the squirrel goes across the top of the fence she's up there and she's barking so they have to the right people have to understand that they are not a dog that you can just let off and come back but they're very good with children so I think as long as they are at a very young age the children understand that this dog is going to grow very quickly and it's going to be very gangly for a long time and very strong so it's brought up correctly with a child then they'll make fantastic pets I love the honesty there. They go through a stage where you think you've made the biggest mistake of your life. (laughs) True of many, if not all dogs, I think. Have a look at dogcastradio.com to see some photos of all those new breeds if you haven't seen one before, because they're all beautiful in very different ways. We all know that diet is important for us and our dogs. And the next lady I spoke to knows all about formulating a healthy food for dogs because Marie Jones is the founder of Billy and Margot. Your dogs, Billy and Margot, inspired the food, didn't they? So tell us about how they did that. It all started with the ice treats, actually. And uh, being French, we used to take Billy on holiday to the south of France to see my family in the summer. And uh, he really suffered in the heat. And it was at a time when I was retraining as a nutritionist. And I was looking at ways of helping Billy to cool down, but in a natural, healthy way. So nutrition was a big element, but also the mechanisms of cooling down. And I then, as we all know, dogs pant to cool down. So I thought, well, if I find something to help him cool his mouth, that might help cooling him down a bit quicker. So we know there are different ways, such as putting a cold water in his bowl, uh, refreshing them with a blanket, a wet towel. and uh, But licking an ice treat is something that I realised was helpful. So this is where it all started. And it progressed from there in giving them the best food that I could actually come up with by studying the ancestral diet um, and what dogs used to eat in the wild. And I've put together recipes that uh, combine the best ingredients with what's right for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. which is really, really important, isn't it? You know, to get the, the food right yeah, for health. For it is for health. We now see dogs that live a very long life and a lot of it is attributed to good health, good vet practices and so it's not rare to see Labradors for example live to 15 I hear that every day whereas it used to be you know 
10, 12 for, for a lab, so it's great. And food has a, a big part to play. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So what is it about your food that makes it so good for dogs then? We're very careful about where we source our ingredients, and that's, again, very important. What we know is sometimes in dog food you find uh, what they call fillers, uh, you find byproducts. So you hear, of, for example, the chicken element could be everything the feathers and the beaks and the feet. So it's quite, um, you know, it's important for us that actually none of that goes into our food. So when we source our ingredients, we source the very best and the very high, you know, highest of quality. And ultimately, you know, good ingredients makes good food and good food makes you know a healthy dog and you've got um margot still haven't you i do so margot was nine on monday she's yes she's very shiny very healthy she's a very good weight as well that's important unfortunately obesity is also a problem in in animals uh particularly pets like dogs and cats so it's important to make sure that treats is a great way to bond with our animals however just like all of us you know treats are there occasionally for pleasure but they shouldn't necessarily be there every day in high quantities so it's fine but when people feed their dogs treats maybe they should look at reducing the amount of food they give their dog that particular day so so i'm a real advocate of treats i think as i said they're so good when you know you see your dog so happy it's helpful for training for bonding so great but just make sure that your dog stays healthy and the right weight See, I could do it for my dog. I find it a bit harder for myself. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> no, I'm just the same. Look, I love ice cream. Why can't they have theirs? They can. But I don't have an ice cream every day. And I think it's the same for them. You know, give them fun. I mean, life is tough. Let's just have fun. We, we went out for the day the other day, and we now have Jenny's dog, um, who's a German Swiss, German Spitz Klein. And they feel right. like a little puppy. Yep. No, like a little Pomeranian. Yeah, Pomeranian. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and there was, there was doggy ice cream where we were, so we had an ice cream. Chicken ice cream. Absolutely. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Blue, you oh, it is. You, you know, you get this real joy of sharing something with them. And we know is that humanization. We, we've seen it. We know it happens. We know people, you know, give their dogs something that, you know, they want to eat themselves. But it needs to be appropriate for the breed. And, you know, we need to respect the fact that dogs have different needs to us. And therefore, you know, again, is giving them the treats that's been created with their breed and their species in mind. So dogs are omnivores, but they're ultimately carnivores. So, you know, this is, and again, as I said, when I design the food, I very much look at what would a, a dog or did a dog in the wild eat? And actually, people don't realize, but fruit, for example, is very much part of their diet because in the wild they would eat a prey and they would eat the entire gut and that prey often like a rabbit or or a deer is a herbivore and actually would eat uh, berries wild berries and therefore berries that are low in sugar are actually a great um, you know sort of fiber rich full of antioxidants phytonutrients full of vitamins are actually a great product it's a great ingredient so you know, now grains, on the other hand, is not necessarily great for dogs. And unfortunately, today we're seeing that a lot of food is filled with grains because it's cheap. It's a lot cheaper than meat or blueberries. So that's what we find. So the thing to do is to get owners to understand the labels, understand what's right for their dogs, and actually, you know, buy the right food. So you can buy commercial food. You don't have to make it, but it's good to have the good and right ingredients absolutely absolutely yeah. um, if you've inspired people to maybe rethink their dog's diet or yeah. find out more about it where can people find out more about sure. uh, Billy and Margot online so you can go on our website, so www.billyandmargo.com. Uh, Margo is O-T at the end, and uh, you can find a lot on the website. We, we, we put all our ingredients, we, there is a, a video, you can get quite a lot of information from there. 
It was lovely to meet Marie, and her dogs are beautiful, though I am a little biased towards black Labradors. The Labrador, of course, is perhaps one of the best-known breeds in the world, but the next one I'm going to talk about is a little-known one. I managed to pronounce its name at the show with coaching, as you'll hear, but I'm not going to attempt it now. Suffice it to say, this breed came to the UK 15 years ago, and the ladies I talked to were actually competing in the breeders' competition. This is a breed that I haven't heard of before, so and I can't even pronounce. So, how do we say this breed? We say Cirneco dell'Etna. Cirneco dell'Etna. I like it. I like it. Well done. Yeah. I've ever looked all exotic. <laughs> okay, and I'm talking to. I'm Jane Moore. Jane Moore. Hi. Debbie McDonnell. McDonnell. I'm Sarah Connerty. Hi. And you're about to go into the into the ring, but you're not showing the breed. What what is this? We are showing them okay. tomorrow in their in their breed classes, yeah. and today is the breeders' competition. So you have to qualify over the year. At different shows, and then the first, the top forty, go into the final at Crafts. A breeders' competition means that you present like three or four dogs, all bred by the same breeder. Doesn't matter who owns them. Yeah. And the breeder then, the, every show that you go to, there is a competition where these they all have a go against each other in the ring, and the the one that wins or second or third, they get certain amount of points. Now, out of about hundred that were competing, only forty could qualify for crafts, right? So we got, I think, it was twenty sixth, wasn't it? Something like that. So they did really well because I live in Italy and I don't always come over here. But they've been really working hard as I'm the breeder, so they've done it for me, and I really appreciate what they've done. And this is the Hadrianensis group, and that's um, it's important because it, whatever the result is, we're showing off a new breed. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, we've got three brand new breeds competing for the first time this year at Grafton, haven't we? No, but this is not the first. Oh, this time. not for no. you. No, no, it's not the time, first time you're competing. Not for us, no, but it is a rel- still a relatively new. It's relatively new. Yeah. It's only been in the country. I bought the first one in 15 years ago. One. And when we did Discover Dogs 15 years ago, we had, were given a stand by the kennel company. We had one dog. Oh. <laughs> and we were billed as the rarest dog in the UK, but that was 15 years ago. And we've done a lot since then, yeah. a lot so, of work. Do you know how many there are now? In well, should be a couple of hundred, I think. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, tomorrow morning at Crafts in the breed class, we've got 28, which is pretty good for a fairly new breed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, discussing this with the, the brand new breeds, it's a long process. It is a long process. Yes, establish a breed here, isn't it? It's a long process just to establish a breed. Just to establish a breed to get recognised by the kennel club to then get classes because otherwise you go into um, import class where they're all mixed together. And we've been through all that. Now it's up to you know I brought in as many as I could to, and to, and other people have brought them in to give a wider gene pool. Now it's up to them here to go on and carry on the work. Yeah, excellent. So what's uh, and I've forgotten. Chien was it Chien or Chichen? What's one of them <laughs> like <laughs> to live with? What's the temperament of one like? They are active and reactive. Yeah, very friendly. Very, uh, if they're well socialised, because they're a primitive breed, so they need a lot of socialisation as puppies. And if they get that, they're very affectionate. They can be trained very well. It's a bit harder than, say, with a border collie. Let's yeah. put it like that, <laughs> because they are a hound and they have a very strong prey drive. Yes. Yeah. So, what's the best kind of motivation for them? I think you, I think the main thing is get them to love you first, so they they trust you and and get a bond yeah. first and then I think it's, it's the treats the toys the constant socialising and the varieties it's the mental stimulation yeah. so to be honest if you went to work and created them all day you would have a, a dog that's completely insane yeah. you really would so they need to be with you but they, you know, they need to be separated as well oh, yeah, but, um, yeah. but they do need a lot of groundwork at the beginning they do mental, they do. mental stimulation, stimulation and yeah. with, with their own activities mm. not just physical activities They're very intelligent, but that needs to be directed into something positive. Otherwise, they do negative things. Do you get to the end? This is, oh, this is, this is, this is like the Ryder Cup for dogs. <laughs> I'm looking forward to no, it. No, but you are right. It really is the mental side of it. Isn't yeah. The most, yes. you know, yeah. I think that's more important than, than running. Mind you, whatever you do, they see a rabbit coming. 
if it, whatever they do, if they see a rabbit running across, they'll go for the rabbit. Uh, problem solving yeah they yeah, right. you know they like to be active they like to do things and if you have a lot of time and a lot of patience and you're a good reward based owner if you can go to classes you can do so much with them oh, yeah. you really I can just thinking, as you were saying that i bet yeah. they're good for agility yes yes, yes. there's not many people doing it because most people go for like the border collie or yeah. you know a dog that that they know can so they're they're a little bit hard of work being a hound but they can do it and I think the more of us that can get out there and showcase that they can the more people see them because most people still don't know what they are (laughs) they're actually beautiful but how would you describe them to someone that hasn't seen them before how would you tell them about you would I think you'd describe them as um, Anubis the dog that you see on the Egyptian tombs that's That's what they are like that's what they look like small Small. elegant not when they're stiffing though (laughs) (laughs) he's raring to go they're lovely where can people find out more about them online on the club site www.chirnekodeletnaclub.co.uk where did you discover them then where did you first meet them I first met them in Sicily something like 40 years ago fell in love with the breed and I was determined to introduce I lived in Italy and I was determined to introduce them to the UK but in those days there was the six months quarantine and I would never put a dog through that so as soon as we got the pet passports I brought in the first one yes right it's fine they're going into the ring best of luck okay the breeders competition was great fun and the lovely little Cirneco del Etnas made a very good showing and if you haven't seen one Visit dogcastradio.com because they are striking. Now to the charity Dogs for Good. Sarah Tosh Rob told me about her dog, Fleck. I should think by now most people know about the wonderful assistance dogs that Dogs for Good train and supply and, and the partnerships they set up are amazing. But Fleck is different, isn't he? He's not an assistance dog, so tell me about him. So Fleck is one of our community dogs, um, which is one of our newer projects. Um, to enable us to help more people. Um, so whereas one dog can help a lot of people, um, whereas with an assistance dog, one dog helps one person for their whole life. Um, Fleck works with me out in the community um, with adults with autism, adults with learning disabilities, and, we, and they probably wouldn't be able to have their own dog. Um, so we go out and we work with partner organisations so people like Autism at Kingwood, um, Styleacre, um, Bracknell Forest Council, Hertfordshire um, County Council. Um, and we work and with them um, for some of their clients um, who want to achieve goals. So it's, all, it's not just about doing an activity with a dog, it's about achieving goals. And it could be that people with autism or learning disabilities can get quite anxious quite a lot of the time feel very worried about going out um, or they don't communicate very well so we go along with the dog and we'll do a set number of sessions um, for for up to one hour a week to work on their goals so it could be things like learning about road safety Um, it could be gaining confidence to go out and about Um, some people can do that independently if they've got the confidence so I've worked with a guy um, who wouldn't go out and about on his own because he was like, like the confidence got too anxious and by working with Fleck and I he now goes out 75% of the time on his own um, also we might help with um, self-care so by grooming, learning to look after the dog, feeding, giving the dog water they learn to then do that themselves and variation it could also be physical help so if they're they need help with their mobility or fine or gross motor skills then the dog can also doing activities with the dog can help with that as well so there's a whole range of, of, of things that they can do so. and I mean the thing is I was talking about this yesterday with someone who has an assistance dog when a person is training you or helping you working alongside you that's one thing but when it's with a dog it's different somehow it's you're a team aren't you it's a different feeling so I guess for like really really helps these people in a way a human can't that's right and quite often the the people that we're working with um their support teams have been trying to work on on this with with sort of maybe small success um and then just having the dog involved just breaks down the barriers there's no pressure from a dog 
a dog accepts you for who you are. It doesn't matter if you do things wrong, the dog doesn't mind. The dog's not going to tell you off. Um, just there and encouraging you and, and, and getting that bond. Um, and taking the responsibility for the dog as well can help a lot of people just build their confidence. They are able to do things. So. And another important thing, tell me how Fleck takes to this. I mean, what's his attitude, do you think? Can you interpret it for us? <laughs> yeah. Well, Fleck lives with me. Yeah. Um, so he'll always be with me with, a, with one of the clients and one of their support teams. So we always work in a team. Um, so you need to have a dog that's quite happy to interact with lots of different people. Um, and Fleck is, he's got the confidence, he likes people. So he's quite happy that once he realises that's the person that he's doing a, a game with, an activity walking with, then he will quite quickly, as long as I'm there to support him quite quickly, then happy to work for them and take notice of them um, and, and do what they ask so yeah. I mean we're, we're in the middle of Croft at the moment and it's hustle and bustle and dogs and people and goodness knows what and he's just flex just lying down really calm looking at you our mum's here it's okay it's fine I mean that's pretty much what he's like I imagine yeah he's very chilled out um, yeah. he has got a very cheeky side as well which is great um, you know yeah. it works well with helping breaking barriers down and things yeah. like that but yeah he is, he is generally quite a chilled out dog so. yeah I know what you mean because my, my, my buddy, my Labrador, was sort of. People thought he was really calm and sort of chilled and like that, but he could tip over. You, you praised him or something happened, you know, unexpected, and he'd tip over and say, Oh, we're playing, oh, great. And he, you know, he'd, his other side would come out, and that's, that's it's great for your purposes. It is as well, it is, yeah, because um, sometimes he'll do things that I've not asked him to do. You know, he might pinch toys out of the, out of the bag, um, and it just makes the, the clients laugh. They think it's really nice that he could be a bit cheeky and he's. Yeah. pinching things but he's not really but you know to him and, yeah. and, and then he, he thinks it's great because he's got something yeah, yeah which is lovely where can people find out more about Dogs for Good um, if you probably look at our website um, it's the Dogs for Good uh, website um, and there's more on there about that under the community dog tab so, so lovely Fleck who you can see a photo of on the Dogcast radio site is helping many many people you're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. And now it's time for the Crufts Special Dogcast Radio News. Crufts began in 1891, and it's not just for purebred dogs, with hundreds of crossbreeds also taking part in Crufts. As well as the show rings, there are agility, flyball, obedience and heelworks music competitions, as well as Scruffs and Friends for Life competitions. There have been 91 Best in Show winners, with 43 different breeds winning the title over the years. The Cocker Spaniel has won the most Best in Show titles, with 7 wins, followed by the Irish Setter, Poodle and Welsh Terrier, which have each won on 4 occasions. The first Best in Show was won by a Greyhound. Vulnerable British and Irish native breeds have won Best in Show at Crufts a total of 8 times. Crufts covers more than 25 acres of the NEC in Birmingham. This includes 5 halls and the Resorts World Arena. It may be a huge show, but a tiny dog was crowned top dog this year, as Papillon Dillon became best in show. And for a small dog, he has a very long kennel name. Multi-champion Planet Waves Forever Young Daydream Believers. In a packed arena, Dillon, who is two years old, and his owner, Kathleen Rusens from Belgium, were cheered on as they were chosen by top judge Dan Eriksson. Dylan's win was a historic first for both Belgium and the Papillon breed. In total, almost 21,000 pedigree dogs from around the world competed at the NEC in Birmingham over four days for just seven places in the Crufts 2019 Best in Show final. The other six finalists were Luther the Irish Porter Spaniel, Dave the Boxer, Charlene the Samoyed, Mike the Bassett Griffin Von Dean Petty, Eva the Scottish Terrier, and Barely the Shih Tzu. PC Dave Wardell from Buntingford, Hertfordshire, and his dog Finn were the winners of the Kennel Club Friends for Life competition. Retired police dog Finn was stabbed several times as he protected Dave from an armed attack in 2016, saving his life. Finn was badly injured and his fight for his life led the duo to launch the Finn's Law campaign, highlighting the value of all service animals and the injustice of their treatment in the law. Finn was one of five hero dogs shortlisted for the Friends for Life competition in February. They were chosen for the lifetime of love and loyalty they give to their owners and for the way they have irrevocably changed their lives. Britain's Got Talent's Ashley Butler and Sully, a collie cross, won the Kennel Club Singles Agility Small Final. 
Proud owner Ashley said, Sully was super. He was a good boy. It was a fast course, over and done with very, very quickly. It's always a surprise when you win, but it's obviously amazing to get to Crufts in the first place. Percy, a pointer cross owned by Amanda Bell from Sheffield, South Yorkshire, won the Scruffs Family Crossbreed of the Year title. Percy was given a second chance at life after Amanda Bell and her father, Michael, found him in a very bad way on a street in Cyprus. Having been shot multiple times, unable to stand, suffering with failing kidneys and weighing only nine kilos, Amanda and Michael arranged for Percy to travel to the UK, with his chances of survival looking uncertain. He's been with the family in Sheffield for over six months, and Percy is now recovering well, and despite being very poorly and frightened when first arriving in the country, the family have built up trust and bonded with Percy, and where he was once too scared to go further than the garden gate, they have since helped him achieve his Kennel Club Good Citizen Scheme Bronze Award, and, of course, stand in the ring in the Scruffs final. Singer, presenter and dog lover Michael Ball and dog judge Gerald King judged the six finalists on qualities such as good character, health and temperament with people and other dogs. Barney, a seven-year-old Skye Terrier, owned by Jane Curtis from Kidderminster, Worcestershire, won the grand final of the Kennel Club Vulnerable British and Irish Breeds competition, beating 15 other vulnerable breeds to be crowned winner. The Kennel Club Vulnerable British and Irish Breeds competition helps raise awareness of rare native breeds, whose annual puppy registrations stand at fewer than 300 thus leaving them at risk from disappearing from the UK's streets and parks. Just 50 Sky Terriers were registered with the Kennel Club in 2018. The most popular entries in each group by breed are Working, Boxer, 199, Pastoral, Border Collie, 330, Terrier, Staffordshire Bull Terrier, 350, Hound, Whippet, 460, Toy, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, 305, Utility, Bulldog, 233, Gun Dog, Golden Retriever, 537. This year has seen an increase of 50% or more in the entries for the Australian Shepherd, Lao Chun, Japanese Spitz and the Pharaoh Hound compared with 2018. In contrast, there were just two Lake Noir Belgian Shepherd Dogs entered, which highlights the fact that Crufts is a true celebration of all dogs, from the well-known to the highly unusual. The number of overseas dogs due to compete at Crufts this year has dropped for the first time in around a decade, marking a potential sign of concern amongst dog owners about travelling in a post-Brexit world and an early indicator of the possible implications Brexit will have on future international entries to the show. But the future will have to wait for another episode. So, until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why did the dog cross the road twice? because he was trying to fetch a boomerang.